Good morning. You know, it's such a privilege and a blessing to be able to uh, teach all of you. And actually, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do the work in your hearts, not me. It's nothing that I'm going to do. It's just that the Lord loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise. And, and so here I am, and, and it's, it is a blessing, though. I am very blessed, and it's good to see that most of you uh, remembered to set your clocks ahead. And um, uh, Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy, so if you would, we're going to start in verse 15. If you would turn there in your Bibles, and while you're doing that... Uh, Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just uh, we come before you, Lord, and help us to open our hearts to you, Lord, as you desire to do a work in our lives. I just pray, Lord, that we always uh, sing that worship song that we surrender all, but Lord, help us to truly, to truly do that. Lord, help us to surrender those things in our life, Lord, that we're so unwilling to let go, thinking that we can figure it out or work it out. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to understand what it means to be uh, approved by you, Lord, what it means to be a servant of you, and what a tremendous blessing it is, Lord, knowing that our reward is not here, it is with you in your kingdom. And Father, I just pray that uh, you would help us to further your kingdom, Lord, that so much ground has been given up to the enemy. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to take back the things that have been surrendered to the enemy. Father, strengthen your people, strengthen us all, Lord. Infill us with your Holy Spirit that we would go forth in your power, Lord, not in our ability, but, Father, by your strength. So, Lord, we just commit our lives to you. We commit this time to you, Lord, that you would uh, please just speak to our hearts, Lord, because even though I'm, <laughs> I'm talking, Father, you're administering to me just as you're administering to everyone else. So, Father, be glorified. Be lifted high today. Lord, that you would be the guest of honor in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, seated on the throne. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. 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 So we're going to look at a particular uh, epistle that was written by Paul, and this actually occurs just before he is final in his final uh, imprisonment in Rome and shortly before he's executed. But this was an exhortation to Timothy, who was his uh, protege, somebody that he invested time into and poured his life into. And Timothy went with him on various mission trips, uh, him and Silas. And the important thing is, is that he is now going to be left in charge of the church of Ephesus. And Paul wants to encourage him not to be dissuaded by all the different attacks that the enemy is going to use uh, to bring against him because the enemy looks for every type of opportunity to get you caught up in a place where you're just totally neutral. He doesn't care that you worship him. It's not like that's his purpose. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to worship Satan or, or all those things. He just wants to bring us into a place where, where we're totally ineffective for the kingdom, where lives are not changed, no one's transformed, everything's just the way it was and it continues to go on. But there is a certain uh, set of requirements that the Lord has that we are to be approved by him for the service of him. And it does require uh, a few particular things that we're going to look at right now. So in verse 15, the Lord, uh, or Paul is saying here, be diligent to present yourself 
approve to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. Now, Peter shares a very similar exhortation in his epistle, letter to the church. He says, to make your calling and election sure. In other words, not to guess, not to, you know, just kind of be wishful thinking, but to really press toward the calling of the Lord and to, and to know. And we need to be mindful that when um, teaching God's word, that we teach it accurately. Uh, not to lead people in a wrong way, knowing what James says, knowing that when you are a teacher and you're in that role, that you will be held to a greater accountability, that you will uh, be subject to a divine judgment. And he also is telling us this because our life needs to exhibit things that clearly reflect that the Lord is working within our heart. It's, it's very hard to go out into the world, to be a witness for the world, when you just kind of fit in with the world. There's nothing that sets us apart from the world. You know, the Lord tells us to be sanctified and to be set apart. And not that you're to isolate yourself because there's a, a lot of different beliefs out there where people get caught up in this wrong doctrine where they think, oh, well, we need to isolate ourselves from the world and we don't want uh, those things to encroach in our lives and, and you know, and we need to be... Um, uh, separated in that way. But God wants us to be separate in the fact that when people look at us, that they can clearly see the evidence of Christ working in our life. Through the love that we have for people, for the, for the things that we do, there's fruit that's produced there. You know, it's just like when Jesus was talking about, about not to judge people, but to, to know them in a righteous way. In other words, to know them by their fruit, as he talks about in Matthew. You know, it's just like when you go out and you say, well, you know, there's an orange tree. You know it's an orange tree because there's oranges on it. Or you know it's an apple tree because there's apples on it. For the same thing, people will know we're Christians because there is evidence of fruit in our life that is Christ-like, and they see that. And that's what people need to bear witness of. That's what, that's what causes them to realize something is different in our heart. Something is not motivating us. It's not an external motivation. We're no longer doing things that the world would do. You know, we're seeking entertainment and things of that nature, but that we're really seeking after the Lord. You know, and Jesus also tells in Luke's gospel, I'm not going to have you turn there. I'll just read it. If you want to, you can. It's in Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 26 through 33. He said that when you serve me, when you, when you decide to serve me, count the cost because it's going to cost you something and many of you know that have been hurt by loved ones that have been let down by people that have been kind of shunned or whatever you'll understand what this means count the cost because when you follow Jesus Christ many people will become embittered they'll say well you're not the person that I remember who you know I, I like you better the old way but you know what Jesus tells us this if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able 
with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while other is still a great way off. He sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that, that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is not telling us to just start hating everybody. That's not what he's implying. What he's really saying, because that would, that would be contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us, you know, that we are identified as Christ's by our love for one another. And it's whether it's our family or friends or neighbors or whoever it is. But what he's saying here is that your love for him needs to exceed everything else in your life. And it's not easy to do. You know, I mean, I've been following after the Lord for some time, but I still struggle I still wrestle with different things because, you know, as Paul says, we have a flesh nature that always wants to do things that satisfy the flesh when we have the spirit nature that's within us that wants to do the right thing. We, we want to do the right thing, and I would like to think that we would do the right thing, but that's not always the case because sometimes we just fall short. But it's an encouragement that even though you fall, just like the just like the word tells us, a righteous man falls seven times. You cannot get caught up in the fact that, oh, you know, I've, I've made a mistake, I've gone too far, because that's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to work you over and tell you, well, that's it, you've, do, you've done it, you, you can't go any further, oh, you haven't been to church in a couple weeks, you're, you're done, um, and you can't do that. You can't let the enemy have a foothold because that's what he's looking to do. And then he'll use other people and, and to try to make you feel like somehow you're not usable by God. The thing that I love about God, like for me, is he's, he's a garbage collector. And he takes the garbage and he restores it into something beautiful. And we're going to talk about that as, as uh, Paul is exhorting Timothy. He says that there are vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor, but I don't want to get too far ahead. You know, the other thing is, too, is... I remember going downstairs because uh, recently my wife and I have moved in with my parents because uh, my mother could could use some help and, and things. And my father always watches the History Channel. And I love when I hear that, did you know there's some things in the Bible that you really didn't know were there? There's some hidden truth that you never knew before? And, and uh, you'll hear the titles like uh, Find Out the Truth Behind the Bible or, or Bible Secrets Revealed. You know, it reminds me of this uh, case where Pastor Bill was teaching one time and he was talking about uh, a gentleman in the Treasury Department. Now, I'm sure this was talked about somewhere else, but I just remember as a kid, he was talking about this gentleman in the Treasury Department that was asked, how do you know when you receive counterfeit money? How do you know the counterfeit bills? And the gentleman simply replied that, you know, we study the originals so much that when the counterfeits come, we can identify them immediately. And for us, when we follow after Christ and we serve him, we will know when the counterfeits come because if we diligently seek after him, he's gonna reward you. That's the way he is. God is a generous God. He says, ask of me if you don't understand. Ask for wisdom. I'll give it to you. Liberally, I'm not going to be like, well, you know, <laughs> you're asking again? Come on. Because, I mean, if you think about it, even when the disciples asked him, you know, he says, have you not been with me these three years and you still don't know? But he, 
he is a good teacher, and that's why he's called a good teacher, because the Holy Spirit, when Jesus says, I'm going to leave and another's going to come in my place and be a witness to you, the Holy Spirit is so gentle, and he just he speaks to us in a still, small voice, and he's encouraging us, come, come and see, come and see. I remember um, hearing about the Lord when everybody says, well, where are you staying? He said, come and see. You know, and when he's in our heart, and people say, well, what's going on? Come and see. You know, invite them. Have a, have a spirit of invitation and not confrontation because uh, that's uh, some of the things that uh, Timothy's going to be wrestling here with as this, these different doctrines that go through the church of Gnosticism and things of that nature. And, you know, like Paul encouraged or exhorted the Bereans, he, he said that it was, it was a, a blessing to them because they didn't just take his word for it. Like, I don't want you to take my word for it. You yourself need to take the action and go into God's word and seek it for yourself and see what it says to you. Because that was the, the, the um, commendation that he was given to the Bereans. He said, because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was true. So let's move on, because um, Paul's going to tell Timothy that there's going to be all these guys, especially these two particular individuals, that are going to come and try to get people all bound up in things that are just simply not biblical. And it says in verse 19 here, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of, of God stands... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I got ahead of myself in verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they increase uh, to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of the sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith. And, and uh, that's kind of uh, what we were talking about. And he says, uh, or he continues in verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And again, that's a call to us because it is important for us that we don't blend in so much with the world that people have this idea that, man, don't be laying some trip on me or some, some thing on me that, that you're not going to or be willing to do yourself. And you know, that's the one thing that I loved about Jesus is that he would never put us in a position of something that he himself was not willing to do. And he is the example that we are to live by. You know, not, it's not me, it's not, it's not Ray, it's not any of us, it's Jesus Christ. He is the one that we are to live up to. And that's why it's important for us to, to acknowledge when we fail and have the Lord work in our heart and say, Lord, I, I, I need you to come in and I need you to do uh, a work in my life. And Paul continues, he says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And again, Paul is reiterating here that it is important for us to have a life that is clearly identifiable to the people in the world. Because, you know, and I'm not saying that the Lord can't use different things to reach people. Please don't misunderstand me. Because he can use anything. God can use the, the just and the unjust alike. He can use it for whatever purpose he has. 
but it is important for us when our actions and our speech or our thought, our process, our thought process begins to stumble other people, it is very vital that we stop. Okay, you don't push on through and say, well, you know, that's just the way I am and, and they'll just have to deal with it and just accept me or whatever. It, it's causing them to reflect badly upon God for the things that we do. Because when we say we're a Christian, we are taking God's name upon ourselves. It's just like if you, were, if you were the boss of a company, if you were put in charge of, uh, you know, uh, an enterprise, and then all of a sudden you started doing all these goofy off-the-wall things, people would say, man, what's wrong with that company? They're hiring all kinds of nuts and wackos, you know? It's you are there to represent Christ, and it is important for us to be a representative of Christ because we say we are Christian, we need to act like a Christian. We need to, to talk like a Christian, and we need to do that. And it needs to be more than just when we're in church. We need to not play church. We need to live a life that is clearly evident, not only to the people around us, not only to our coworkers, but also to our family, because those are the ones that are observing the most closely, especially, as many of you can attest to, children always watch what you do. Even when you think they're not watching, they're watching everything you do. And when you do something that's out of normal or out of whack, they're like, well, why are you doing that? Because they call you into an account and you're like, well, I'm your parent, you know, you do as I say and not as I do. And it's like, no, that, that attitude and that mentality needs to die. It needs to die because we need to say, you know what, you're right. It's just like when people, sometimes there, there have been people that have come in here and, and I pray for them, you know, that they would return, that they would get settled, established, that the Lord would work in their heart, that they wouldn't keep running. But there are people that come in here um, at times, and they, they're struggling with issues, and they're struggling with different things in their life. And I can't in good conscience tell them to do something, you know, well, you need to pray, and you need to fast, and you need to do all this stuff, unless I'm willing to show them an example. And even when I teach the, ki the children, you know, I know they're watching what I'm doing. And, and it's awesome. It's very refreshing. And that's one of the things that I love about teaching the children is because they have nothing to hide. They don't have to hide behind a false pretense. They just, they're out with it. Like, well, you know, why, why are you doing that? And it's like, well, because I'm being a knucklehead and I need to repent and tell the Lord, you know. So now Paul is going to also tell Timothy to flee useful lusts but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And unfortunately, sometimes all people want to do is argue. And it's so easy to want to get into this, this role where you're defending God. Like, Lord, I know you can defend yourself, but let me, let, let me just step in here for a moment. Let me tell him how it is. It kind of reminds me of myself, and I can relate to Peter. 
Because like Peter, when they came to arrest him, he's like, Lord, I, I know who you are, but you know what? Let me, let me just kind of handle things. Let me, let me take the sword, and I'll show you how to work it, and, and uh, I'll remove some of these people. But Paul is telling Timothy to, to, to not have this tendency to just rush in to an argument and have a spirit of contention, but rather choose, choose uh, attributes in your life that really have a value, things that really will change uh, people's hearts because one of the hardest things you will ever do is try to argue with somebody who's talking in a very calm voice. The argument usually doesn't last too long because I, I, I can tell you there have been many times where, <laughs> where I've gotten into an argument because I'm being a knucklehead and you know saying all kinds of foolish things and not that I want to admit this but my wife will say now honey really is that, is that how you should be acting? I'll be like, but you don't understand. You don't know and, and all this stuff. And then she'll say, no, honey, come on. And I'll be like, all right, you're right. You're right. I, what can I do? I can't, can't argue with that. And the Lord has been so patient with us in our times of rebellion that we also need to be patient with other people because they are spiritually blinded to these things. Don't just assume that people can relate to these, to these precepts and concepts when you're describing the Word of God and how the, the Spirit works in your life because they might not know. So you need to be patient and not say, well, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you don't understand this. No, the thing is, is because God hasn't opened their eyes to that reality. It's just like um, the other day I was talking about this. I apologize for those that have heard me say this. It was just like when Gehazi um, was not seeing the army. All he saw was the Assyrians outside. And he said, well, you know, Elijah, don't you care what's going on? Man, we're gonna, we are so going to pay. There are millions of dudes out there, and they're just going to march right over us or whatever. And finally, Elijah's like, man, why are you getting so worried? He said, Lord, open his eyes. Let them see that those that are with us are more than that are with them. And when his eyes were open to the things of the Spirit, he's like, oh, wow. And you know what? When you take the time, and it's awesome to see how the Lord works in people's lives, when you take the time and say, brother, you know what? The Lord loves you. You know, don't, don't beat yourself up. There's a gentleman that's been coming, and he has quite the testimony. Um, these two gentlemen that have been coming to men's prayer and he was asking the other day, he says, you know, he goes, everybody says that I got to go out there and start, you know, converting people to Christ and all this other stuff. And I told him, I said, you know what? As the Lord leads you, you know, it, it takes time. You're not just going to have this, well, some people might have an epiphany where the Lord just radically converts them like he did for Paul the Apostle. But like Peter, it, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes the block in our head is so thick that things don't get through, we're just thick or dense or whatever, and it's like the Lord's Word's trying to get in, and we're just, well, I know who I am, and, and I'm the captain of my own ship, and I, I, I'm going to chart my own destiny, and the Lord's saying, you know what? Just, just, just let me work in your life so that I can work through you to work in other people's lives. And we need to be patient. We need to not be so swift to rush to judgment, to think that, well, you know, that guy, is, his body looks like a road map and he's got all the tackle in his face and I don't know if I could talk to him. And, and you know what? Jesus died for everyone. Everyone. They all need Jesus just like I do. 
And I need Jesus, let me tell you. I need him to reign and rule in my life because when I'm in charge, it's a mess. Because it's just like things just fall apart. I'm always wondering, why, Lord, and how is this happening, and, and things of that nature. And the Lord's telling me, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to you. I want you to be faithful to me. And he's faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. So God is telling us that he doesn't want people to perish. In fact, in Peter, he talks about that. He said God's desire is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And even though there's people that go out of their way to make problems for us, that cause strife and cause all kinds of contention, pray for them. Pray for them that their eyes would be open. That's what Paul's saying here. Even though these guys are trying to divert the people into all these different doctrines, pray for them. Don't write them off. Don't say, well, you know what? They're going to hell. That's it. We're done. I'm not even going to bother talking anymore. Pray for them because let the Lord intercede on your behalf. You're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can talk to people and I could share the love of Jesus with people, but it's God himself that gives the increase. He's the one that motivates the hearts of people. He's the one that turns the hearts of people toward himself. And we need to get out of the way sometimes. Because I know it's like when the children come in, sometimes I'm standing in the doorway and I'm like, come on in. And they're like, well, you got to get out of the way first. And it's the same thing with Jesus, you know. Jesus wants to work in the hearts of people, but we got to get out of the way. There's too much of us involved, too much of my, my personality and all of that stuff. And it needs to be about him, that I would decrease, like John would say, John the Baptist, that I would decrease all the more that he would increase, that, that people wouldn't see me anymore. They would just say, wow, that's the Holy Spirit. Because I know a lot of times when, when different teachers come up here to teach and stuff, and, there, and I remember one of the brothers here told me this story, and it's really sad. They said, oh, well, you're teaching. And then literally right in front of them, they said, well, well do you want to go to the mall? And it's just harsh. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching. It's not, it's not, it's, the, the vessel doesn't get the honor. God gets the honor, and he is the glory. And you know when you're doing God's service, when people leave and they go away glorifying God. They don't say, wow, you know, that, that sofa was amazing today, or, or those chairs, boy, they were in order today, and, and I love how the podium looked today. It's, it's, man, that just, that just really spoke to my heart. No, it's the word of God that changes us. It's not the building, it's not the people, it's God and God alone who gets the glory. Now we're going to talk about a, a particular time in chapter 3 here where this is, not that these things are not occurring and haven't been occurring throughout time, but in this particular case, the intensity and the amount of what is occurring is is going to be evident that the Lord's coming back. And it says in verse 1 in Timothy chapter 3, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Perilous speaks of a level of ferocity and, and intensity like that we've never seen. It's like the kind of persecution that we hear about when missions pastors come here and they talk, you know, like sometimes when Pastor Matt, he'll, he'll, he'll share certain things that are going on in like the Sudan with uh, Pastor Wes Bentley and things of that nature. That kind of consistent persecution is coming. It's coming. Expect it. 
Now, it's been going on, and you'll see different things, only this time it's not just in the situation, it's in the hearts and lives of people themselves because Paul's going to call one particular thing that kind of sums us all up, and we'll get to that. But this, in this time period, Paul is um, expressing that this time occurs in the church age, but that it's going to be much more intense as the time approaches to Christ's second return. And, and Jesus, you know, himself also uh, spoke of the signs in the heavens and the earth, but, this follow, but the following verses, again, they talk about us on an individual level as a people. And it says in verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves. These are the kind of people that are marked by an unwillingness to sacrifice on the behalf of anyone else. These are the type of people that are so self-serving and self-absorbed that they could care less about what happens to anyone. And that means even those that are in their immediate families. And it has become all the more evident in recent times as we have all been witness to the, to the breakdown of marriages, the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of civility. When you go out and you see these people protesting and what, and I mean, it's just, it's like, it's almost like anarchy, but not yet. There's still this, this, this spirit is still restricting just outright anarchy. But these are people that, that don't care what happens to anyone else but themselves. They're so self-focused. And it, it doesn't really stop there. This is, what, this is what's really terrible, especially in this time. It doesn't stop there because now our culture encourages that kind of nature. We, you know, the self-centered behavior. And they tell you this ideology or this, this mentality, well, you can't really love others until you love yourself. You really need to love yourself, brother or sister. You need to love yourself before you can love other people. What a bunch of garbage. You need to love yourself? You know, Jesus said, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Self needs to be put to death daily. Daily, and it's not easy. It's not easy because you have all these thoughts and desires and uh, want to accomplish things in your life and have a sense of accomplishment. But Jesus is telling us, die. When you die to yourself, I'm going to live within you, and I'm going to do a work far greater than you ever could because the reward I'm going to give you is going to last forever. It's not just going to be a temporary thing. And this total desire to satisfy the self-nature is the basis for all these following attributes that we're going to talk about. Lovers of money. Now, this doesn't imply that if you are a diligent, hardworking individual you know, trying to provide for you and your family and whatever, that you're a sinner and you're evil and you're going to hell. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about somebody that, like, I don't remember when this came about, but when people would say, man, they would sell their own mother. It's that kind of mentality where you'll do whatever you can to increase your finances. And it reminds me of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus you know, and it's in uh, Matthew, I mean, it's in, it's in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he says, you know, I've done all these things, Lord, to keep your commandments and to serve you and, and all of that. He says, but he says, but what do I need to do to be saved? And he says, give all that you have to the poor and then come follow me. And it says that the man's countenance fell, that he went away sad, and that was it. 
because he put his love of money above the things of God. He was so concerned about his possessions, and they're temporary. These things are so temporary. Our life is so temporary. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. And we need to realize that we are not investing in this world. It's not like I bring people over to say, hey, did you guys see my mountain of dirt? Isn't that awesome? Because that's what it is. It's just, it's, it's material. It's things of the earth. You know, it's like one of the things that was interesting is I remember one of the uh, gentlemen that I talked to, he's very scientific. He understands science, biology, physics, and all these things. Really intense guy. And he was talking about, like, um, evolution one time. And he says, well, you know, the Stone Age and whatever. And I started laughing. I said, the Stone Age? I said, well, we haven't even gotten out of the Stone Age. He goes, what do you mean? I said, think of the things that we put the most value on. Gold is a rock. Diamonds are rocks. They're all rocks. We still haven't gotten out of the Stone Age. We still put value on dirt. That's what we value is dirt. So God is saying, don't let this, don't let this affect your decisions and the things that you do just because you have a love of money. And again, and it, it's, not, it's not that money is evil. It's the love and the lust of the money that you just, I got to have this. I got I to gotta get more. If you ask any billionaire, they'll say, you'll say, are you content now? Well, I, I will be after I get another billion. And then after another billion, oh, well, one more billion. You know, it, it never ends. There, there's voids that can never be filled. Um, I, I did this illustration for uh, one of the young boys that comes on Wednesday nights in the school. And I drew... I drew this picture for him. I drew an outline of a person, and I started filling it in with puzzle pieces. And I said, you know, this is how we are. We have all these different attributes in our life, and all the pieces fit in a certain way. I said, but there's one particular piece that we can't find on our own. And I said, and it's a Jesus-shaped piece. And there's only one person that's going to fill that void, and that's Jesus. No matter how many pieces we put in there, only Jesus Christ is going to give you a sense of fulfillment and a sense of purpose. And, a, and, and, and it's really sad that people just get caught up in all of this just garbage. And again, please do not, you know, think that they're beyond hope. Pray for them. Meet them where they're at, just like the Lord met us. You know, I wasn't exactly the pinnacle of, of uh, you know, uh, apostolic uh, calling when the Lord met me, like, oh, Lord, I'm glad you found me because now I can really shine for you and, and do you a service, Lord. Let me show you how I'm going to work for you. No, I was a mess. I was just an absolute mess. Now, I know people have lives that are far more entrenched with a lot more difficult things, and I'm not making light of that. I am telling you, though, however, that we need to be sensitive to people's needs. Because not everybody's where we're at. Not everybody understands. And again, their eyes are blinded. You know, that people um, choose the dark rather than the light. That's what Jesus said. This is the condemnation. I didn't come into the world to condemn it. The world's already condemned because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And when you think about it, you know, I don't know of many of you, when I was younger, we used to go into a bar. I never went into a bar where it was brightly lit like it is right now, and everybody was just, you know, like, they were, oh, let's pray for the meal, you know, let's, 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 let's just have a time with Jesus or whatever. Man, there, it's all dark, and there's some guy passed out in a corner, and he's thrown up all over himself and whatever. You don't ever see beer commercials where they're showing that. They're showing everybody's just having a good time, living it up, like, man, it couldn't get any better than this. 
when really the travesty is is that you know the grass always seems greener on the other side of the fence it's only until you get over the hill do you realize it's all dead you know god puts these boundaries in our life to protect us and don't run ahead of them he's putting them there for your protection and then blasphemers the words of the spoken language today is just outright shameful the, the way people talk, and, you know, when I used to uh, work at the paper in, in Charleston, South Carolina, because, you know, I was born here, but I went down there for about 10 years, and I worked for the newspaper there. And uh, one of the things that was the most ridiculous thing I ever read is uh, the Associated Press put the story out about how, like, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and, and, and all of these network stations, they had this story. It was called A Race to the Bottom. Who could get the most garbage, the most tripe out there, whether it's, you know, uh, partial nudity or language or whatever it is? It's just sad when they're in a competition to see who could be the worst of the worst. Not the best of the best, but just just troweling out the garbage. And it's really sad. And, and when you see it, even today, I mean, there are things that are so ridiculous I could see on television today that people say, you know, these words, and I'm like, man, I, I would never even say that. And now it's just like, well, it's no big deal. The other thing that's really shameful is the fact of how we use the Lord's name. We have, like, no reverence for God's name. Now, we use it as blasphemy, but we also, you know, it also applies to those that use God's name for their own vanity, for, like, the televangelists, and they say, oh, oh Lord, you know, just all this stuff. You know, when the, the Hebrews used to write the name of the Lord, the scribes, when they would write the, the, the verses and stuff, when they would come to the name of the Lord, they would take a bath, they would get fresh ink, a fresh pen, and they would write the name of the Lord because that was the reverence for the name of God. It was so holy that even the high priest alone was the only one that could say the name of God, and it was only one time a year. But now you can go to stores that that sell t-shirts that say omg and it's like you know lord forgive us that we've done these things to you now another one that's really common today is disobedient to parents this rebellious nature and outright defiance of authority in in the family is you know it's interesting uh Joe and I were talking about it yesterday morning that it was it was something that was evident in teenagers and you would think oh you know just the the teens they're going through this thing or usually more often than not it was those children that came from broken homes but now it's all children at every age just have this absolute defiant nature I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do anything you can't make me and the thing that's even worse about this is that government agencies are encouraging this. If you remember uh, several years ago that there was these lawsuits uh, against children and their parents because parents were looking at their cell phone and seeing the conversations that they were having and the, gov the government was goofy enough to, to side with the children saying, well, you know, your parents are wrong because they're invading your privacy. When you start saying that good is bad and bad is good, woe to you. That's a dangerous, dangerous sign. And we're there. 
we're there. It's, it's, it's only a matter of time before the Lord returns. Or how many, how many movies do you see, like the advertisements, the trailers for movies, where they're showing that children are like super geniuses, all the adults are total idiots, and, and like they don't know anything and whatever. You know, something that I've learned a long time ago, and not that, not that I can't relate to children because I teach the children, but one of the things that I value the most is people that are older than me because I know the wisdom and the experience that they have is far greater than I do. I know that I could ask any of you some of the things that you've gone through and the experience in your life, and that's where real wisdom comes from. Not thinking I know it all and I have the answer to everything, because I don't. But saying, you know what, Lord, help me to seek out somebody that's been around a lot longer than I have, because I'm sure they have a much better answer than I do. Because the Lord says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. You know, not just that there's wisdom, there's safety. So you don't do something rash. Now, unthankful. <laughs> how often do you how often do we give thanks for a meal? You know, and how often do we give thanks for the health that we have or thanks for the blessing that we've been allowed to experience in our lifetime? When is the last time you went out to a restaurant and saw somebody giving thanks for a meal? Yeah, it's almost like prayer in school, right? It's one of those things that it's just, it, it's like non-existent anymore. It's so easy for us to complain, and, but we need to be careful never to base our thankfulness on the level of circumstance. Because if we do, you're in for a really rough ride. Because if you, if you base the, the things that you are grateful to God for on what's currently going on in your life, you're going to be miserable. Even Job, the guy that had all of these things, and you remember the account of Job where it says that his family was taken, his livelihood was taken, his health was taken, and then his wife came to him and says, you know what, you need to just curse God and die. And he said to her, should we accept only good from the Lord and not the bad? And I think that's also, too, true of, of in marriage. Everybody just wants everything to be peachy and, you know, oh, man, you follow Jesus, it's going to be great. There's never going to be a problem. That is such wrong theology to teach people that, you know, things are just going just to be smooth when you follow Jesus. In fact, it's quite the opposite, you know. And now we get to unholy. Uh, like the previous characteristics, not only are people becoming more and more unthankful to God and his mercy, but now there's no fear of God. They just behave with an absolute wicked intent without hesitation, and they just love to indulge in iniquity and unloving. Now, this one I want to come to because a couple brothers here are speaking toward this particular thing. Now, the word that's used here is astorge, uh, astorge, which means without natural affection, inhuman, depraved. And it's the opposite of storge, which is used for a family affection, affection for your children, affection for your parents and whatever. And this is probably the most prominent and abominable issue of our time. And that is is that people will look back at the practices of the Canaanites when they used to heat up the idols of Molech and they would put their children on the incandescent arms as the children would scream, as they would burn alive. And, and then now, with abortion, they look at it as, well, you know, that's no big deal. You know, that's, that's a woman's right to choose. 
you know, how we've masked the things that are really going on in this world. And the thing that's really uh, terrible about all of this is, is that we have a statistic based on what they currently calculate as 60 million lives that are gone. No other atrocity has been perpetrated on the earth like this. Nothing. And 60 million is only the recorded number. Uh, how many occur that we don't even know about? It could be 100 million. It could be double that number, 120 million. You know, I understand that life is downright difficult, if not impossible at times, but, you know, there might be, you know, when people are making the determination of what's going on with their child, there might be deformities, there might be, you know, all kinds of issues and whatever, but the thing that I cannot fathom is how people can so carelessly cast life away that it's, it's worthless. You know, what price do you put on someone's life? And when people say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I can do this, that, and the other thing, you know what? The, a life is so precious. And the fact that we just disregard it like it's garbage, we should be ashamed. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even you know, also include the amount of child abuse that's just sickening in this country. How many times I'll, I'll look at the news and see how, you know, family members or parents take advantage of their children like that that group there that was arrested, uh, the husband and wife, that had all those kids that were like held captive in the house. And, and that's, and I'm being light because I don't want to get into some of them that, you know, just, I, I get too incensed when I think of the harm that comes to children. And it's, it's just horrible. It's just horrible. But unfortunately, that's where we're at. So now we'll continue. Um, Got to continue here. Unforgiving. This word, I think, is better rendered in the King James as truce breakers or covenant breakers, which there's a whole host of examples. And the one that comes to mind, again, is marriage. It's what covenant did you make if it's just so carelessly just thrown away? Like, like well, it was for better or for better. No, it was for better or for worse. You know, when times get tough, and it's going to get tough. And I have to say, that is the con... That is a, a, a commendation to those of you that have remained strong in marriage. I mean, it's a blessing when people say, man, we're having our 40th or 50th anniversary. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for establishing the, the principle that you established even from the beginning. It is awesome that I see that. And it's always an encouragement to me because even though in the midst of all the troubles that we have, you know, my wife and I, because sometimes we don't, you know, we butt heads and we don't see eye to eye um, on things, but it's an encouragement to me to know that no matter how tough it gets, we can always work through it. And that's the attitude we need to have. We can work through it. We can work through it. If you're willing to do it, we can work through it. Don't be so hard-hearted and headstrong. So now slanderers. Now this one has been going on forever. And uh, this one should be another obvious one because of the fact if, I don't know about you, but uh, especially when politics are involved, they are practically crucifying the candidates. Like, well, do you know so-and-so did that? Well, and, and like with the, the Russia investigation, <laughs> well, we're going to prove somehow that somebody's involved with this. Okay, okay, well, do you think you could do it with a sense of dignity? And, but nope, they just want to wanna grill everybody. And, and it's really sad, too, when even it doesn't also apply in politics. It applies in our lives, too, because how many times sometimes when you're at work and, and somebody else gets a promotion and you're like, that guy? Really? 
That guy that doesn't even know how to uh, write his name, he got the promotion? And I'm the, guy that's, I'm the guy that's working, you know, all the time and killing myself for this. You know, it was interesting. A friend of mine um, from Boston told me, he said, competency is its own punishment. And when you're really good at what you do, they can't afford to have you go anywhere else. But we're not working for, for men. We're working for the Lord. Because, again, even our work is a witness. You should be the first one in, the last one out, and the hardest one working to where no one has an occasion to blaspheme the name of God because of what you're doing. That's so important today is to have an excellent work ethic because it's a reflection of what God's doing in your heart. Now, without self-control, this is where, where people, it's just everything, everything is in excess. Everything's in excess. There's no, there's no check in the spirit like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. No, drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever. Whatever you want to do, just, just do it. And it reminds me of what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, the vanity of pleasure. He said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And that's in Ecclesiastes 2.1. But that's the attitude that people are developing now. It's like, I'm not going to, you know, I owe, you owe it to yourself. Treat yourself. And it's all self. I remember, I can't remember the progression of magazines, but I thought it was interesting that years ago you had the book Life, and then after that you had family, then after that you had us, and now the book is self. How interesting. And it shows you a progression of the culture. Now, brutal. You know, with the invention of internet, cell phones, and the ability to record video with your phone, now more than ever, when these things, even when these didn't exist, these things happen, but we can see how, how in this time, how savage people are when they're beating somebody up. You can go on YouTube uh, and see, unfortunately, in other countries, people being beheaded. Um, you can, uh, even in this country, with Facebook, where people are encouraging young children to kill themselves. What is wrong with us? Despisers of good. A time when definitions of good and evil are so twisted and perverted that they come to mean the opposite. People look at speaking the truth now and doing what is right as a bad thing. Take, and if you don't think that that's the case, if you don't think that, that people look at that as a bad thing, go and stand against abortion or homosexuality and watch how people embrace you with loving arms. <laughs> Traitors, when your word and your commitment becomes worthless, headstrong, not letting anything come between them and what they want to do. Haughty, when they're so blinded by pride, they will act out of foolish insolence. And this basically uh, comes to the conclusion, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When the level of selfishness and self-centeredness is so elevated above all else, including the Lord, we are close um, to the time, just like when uh, last Sunday night I had the opportunity to close the book of Judges when we were teaching, and it says exactly kind of what's happening here. Um, in the end of chapter 21, uh, verse, I think it's verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The Israelites wanted a corruptible man to rule over them instead of an incorruptible God. And that's what's happening. It's coming to pass again, not only in this nation, but now all the nations are being prepared for somebody who is going to come in his own name. 
and he is going to lead them into a place they don't want to go. You know, Jesus spoke in Luke's gospel. He said, and the day of his return would be like the days of the time of Noah. And if you look back in Genesis chapter 6, when God talks about what was going on in Noah's time, in Genesis 6 chapter 5, it says, the, law, or the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent and, and of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And we are getting to that point. No, he says, having a form of godliness, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. It's coming to a time where these characteristics are not only prevalent in, in the people of the world, but they're becoming more and more evident in the people in the church. And that's a very dangerous thing because, again, what, what kind of example are we leading? Some people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to be confronted by it. Rather, they want to be comforted by it. They don't want the conviction that comes into their heart saying, man, you need to get right with Jesus. They want to hear, you know what, just pray, brother. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. You know what, don't give people a false sense of hope. Because they're, uh, I don't remember who made this uh, statement, but they said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, care for people, care for their soul and their eternity. Now, from this sort, Paul's going to, um, we're going to close with this. For this sort are those who creep into the household and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul is speaking of women here in this day, but that's not really who he's getting at. The only reason why he's talking about women in the house is because that was the role in that culture at that time. He's actually talking about everyone. He's saying, look at, don't invite this stuff into your house. Don't invite all these these things and, and, and weird doctrines into your house because the enemy, once he gets a foothold, he does not want to let go. And, you know, Paul reinforces that same kind of statement in, uh, later in chapter 4. He says, a time will come when, we will, or when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And it's so much easier to believe all the lies than it is to believe the truth because the truth goes contrary toward our flesh nature. It goes contrary to our own desire, contrary to our own will, and that's what God wants to deal with in us. He wants to deal with these things in us, not only in other people, but in us too. And he said, be mindful that these are the things that are going to mark people for when they come. And, uh, and now he talks about verse 8. In 9, he says, Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men corrupt of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. And again, you know, when you're doing something that isn't right before the Lord, it's going to become very evident. Um, people, you might be able to fool uh, people for a time, but the Lord doesn't allow things to be concealed forever. As he says, when you try to conceal a matter, it shall be shouted from the housetops. He brings all the things into the light. If, if you really want to follow after him, he's going to deal with all those things, and he's going to bring you into the light where he can deal with them because he doesn't want to deal with them in the dark. He wants you to come into the light, just like when you profess to follow Christ, it has to be a public profession. It has to be something public because doing it in secret, you know, like, ooh, you know, I, I don't want anybody to know that I'm following Jesus now. Um, in verse 10, he, he gives the further exhortation, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner, and uh, of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, 
which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, with persecutions I endured. Out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Yes, all and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, Paul's saying, look at my, my life was an example to you. You saw what, what happened. I was, I was practically stoned at one place, or we were ran out of one place. I was stoned at the other, and then I was left for dead at the other place. But I knew that the Lord was telling me to be faithful to him. I knew what the Lord was telling me to do. And if you stand for what is right in the sight of the Lord, if you, if you purpose in your heart like Daniel did that I am going to do God's will, no matter the cost, guess what? You're going to suffer persecution. It's going to come. And it'll come from the most unlikely of sources because the enemy doesn't do anything that's obvious. Even in Genesis, he was described as the most subtle being ever. And he does it so carefully, so strategically. Now, he says in verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, and that's applying to us too, must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing from who you learned them. And that from your childhood that you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's for us. You know, God's word and God's spirit are essential for salvation. And we, you know, we are not to be the judges of God's word, but we are to allow God's word to judge us, to bring to our, our forefront the things that the Lord wants to deal with, that we wouldn't be conformed by this world, but as Paul would say, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may do and prove what is good and acceptable and perfect before God that we would be diligent in our usefulness for God and for the work of his kingdom. You know what? Ask the Lord, ask the Lord to work in your life. Say, Lord, because I need to do this every day. Lord, remove the obstacles from me. Remove the things that keep me from being blessed by you. And you know what? Count the cost because it is going to cost you something to serve the Lord. But you know what? It's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are just such a loving and faithful and, and awesome God. Lord, how we need to just praise your name, how we need to just serve you. Lord, help us to, to, to put away the, the foolish thoughts of thinking, well, I, I don't have any talent or I can't be used. Lord, help the enemy not to have a foothold in our life. But help us to realize, Lord, we are totally usable by you because it is not within us to do good, but, Lord, by your spirit that will enable us to do the work that is before us. Father, we just pray that you would be glorified. Help us to, to not fall into these traps. Lord, help us to stay strong, to remain faithful to the end, to endure, Lord, to, to continue to seek after you, Lord, to endure sound doctrine, to finish the race well, that we would glorify your name and that when people see it, they would glorify your name as well. So, Father, we just thank you for the privilege and the honor of you calling us. Lord, be glorified, we ask, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.